morning. Won't you join us for Blessed Be Your Name? Your glorious name. 
a seat for a minute. We have a few quick announcements. My name is John, and uh, let's go over a few quick things here. Youth group will meet tonight at 5.30 uh, until 7, and that's here in the church for fun and fellowship. Um, prayer, uh, family prayer night, Steve. Steve. Hi, I'm Steve, and um, you know, there's so many things going on in this world, and we don't know which way to turn, but one thing we do know is that we're supposed to come to our Father in prayer. So this Tuesday, there's an opportunity where we're reuniting the brothers and sisters to get together in prayer. So it's 5.30 here. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know that he will show up when we go to him in prayer. So please come along. Whether you've been in the dry desert and haven't prayed in a long time, or you're a closet prayer warrior, um, there's something really powerful and encouraging when the brothers and sisters come together. So I, I'm excited about it, and I hope you'll come too. Um, movie night, Overcomer, the Christian movie. That's Sunday, August 2nd, and hot dogs and chips before the movie at 5, and then movie starts at 5.30. Um, Bulletin, so watch for the bulletin at the end of the week. Julie will email it out to the church family. Um, just have upcoming events and offering records and things like that, any pertinent info. Um, and that's also available on the app, too. So if you if you downloaded that, you, can, you will get that. Um, just a qu quick uh, something I'd like to share with you. Um, it's been a really good week and weekend for me. Um, one is I got a, sometime back, you may have recalled, I, I spoke and um, asked prayers for a friend of mine who was going through a really rough and ugly divorce. And um, and the thing, the thing that's really important to mention is that it's, he's not out of it. It's still rough and ugly. But um, he wanted, he sent a text yeah, there after a conversation and he said, tell everyone that has prayed for me how deeply grateful I am and how powerfully Christ has chosen to move in my life. So even when things are going bad, he does that. And, you know, we've had some challenges here on the home front. Um, and he's the Lord is walking us through that to um, one day at a time. You know, we know that, but to actually see it, you want things to be done with quickly. And um, but, um, you know. Um, have you all remember the, 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 the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, for the Bible tells me so. I probably sang that once or twice. Don. Um, it was not until my 40s when I learned to love Jesus. And um, it's now into my 50s that I've learned that not only does God love me, but he actually likes me. And, and I know what you're all thinking. You're all thinking, well, you know, of course, John, you're so likable. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be funny, but okay. Um, but, you know, I thought I'd read something that really, because there are times, I mean, I, uh, honest, honestly, and some of you may be, this may speak to some of you, but, like, I get this idea that I know that when I die that Jesus is going to meet me. But sometimes I think that he's going to be, you know, looking at his watch because he knows that Jerry's going to be showing up in another few minutes and he's got to get done with me, you know. 
I just don't, you know, I know he loves me. But I wanted to read something that, that showed up when I have thoughts like that. And then it comes in, an, in a um, um, devotional that um, if God dresses the fields with flowers, aren't you more valuable than that? Doesn't he love you more? Won't he do more for you then? God provides your needs because you are so much more valuable than anything he's ever planted on the earth. He, he's planted his very own spirit in your heart. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. He's not just interested in you. He's come for you. He doesn't just listen to you when he doesn't have anything, anyone else praying. He's listening to you at every single moment. Do you want to move from worry to trust in God? Then begin to believe and trust that God will provide your needs because you mean everything to him. Let's stand and continue worship. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no 
There's no God like Jehovah. 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 Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet's call, so lift your voice. It's the year of Jubilee, and out of science ill salvation comes. Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet's call, Thousands elsewhere. 
again to me. I will draw near to you. I will draw near to you. Better is one day in Better is one day in house. Better is one day in than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Than thousands elsewhere. Father, we thank you for tearing open the veil for us to come before you boldly and uh, to know that you have unending grace and new mercies every single day for us. And uh, we just cry out for grace and we cry out for mercy in the midst of um, our darkest moments when we're struggling, when we have questions, um, and remind ourselves through the word. And Holy Spirit, would you remind us uh, when our voices uh, draw flat and dry um, of who you are and what you've done and just your sovereignty and power. Because we need it. We need reminding, and uh, we are forgetful. And so we look forward to that day when we'll stand before you, Father. But for now, um, we live for you in this time and moment among our friends and family um, for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It is good to see most of your smiling faces. And what I mean by that is some are recovered. That's, I'd be careful how you say some of the stuff today. My bride and I have the privilege of entering into uh, being a mother and father-in-law now. And so uh, last weekend, one of our boys got married, and it was our first yeah, so all kinds of excitement for us, and, and uh, it is it has just been uh, a great weekend, and nobody died. It's just amazing, so it's good stuff. Uh, man, you know, there's, uh, how many of you guys have ever had that moment as a young person where you're engaged in dialogue with somebody uh, that's a little bit older than you, and you share with them everything you know? And it turns out it was a very short conversation, and it was less than what you thought it was. Jesus has a way of doing that with these poor scribes and the teachers of the law and, and the people that he's engaging with. And I think rightfully so, he's a, he has a bit of an advantage, right? Uh, what, what we see in Scripture, what we're going to see today, is that God, in his sovereignty and in his, in his, in who he is and his character, he shows up outside of time. And it's a spectacular thing. It's an amazing thing. And Jesus continues to teach about Scripture, and he's quoting a text today, um, and he's sharing, you know, th this input and, and, and 
and his knowledge of what the word is saying. And so we're going to watch Jesus translate scripture today for us, an Old Testament uh, passage. And it's amazing to me how, how much this happens and, and how often it happens in the New Testament. And then there's times where we kind of, we run around and, and argue about the reality of, of these texts and what they actually mean. And I find that amazing. Um, one of the, the times that it draws be- me back to, um, and, and I've just imagined as I try to think through what it would be like for these, for the le- religious leaders of the day, for the people of, of Israel at this time to be listening to this, to watch Jesus teach and watch how he uses the text. Um, it reminds me of a, of a season in my life. I was uh, 18 turning 19 and I was down in South America, Colombia. Now I had worked for nearly two years uh, almost three years at a hardware store and spent a lot of my time in customer service helping people around the Department of Plumbing. Sound like an expert, don't I? And so I get down to South America, Colombia, and they're having plumbing issues. And so they ask if anybody has an experience with plumbing. Well, I'm, an, I'm 18 turning 19. I'm like, why, yes, I do. Thanks for asking. And uh, I spent three weeks down on my four-week trip in Colombia digging up sewers and laying pipe and fixing plugs and and did a lot of it alone. But the worst part of that whole process, the most humiliating moment when was when I was down there with one of the old guys that had been there servicing and caring for that place the whole time, and he was graciously allowing me to exercise my knowledge and letting me share with him what I thought was a solution. And uh, graciously and kindly after I had spent a whole bunch of time working at it, he said, you know, uh, we could do what you're saying, or we could simply do dot, 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 and be done with it. That's a little humiliating, especially when he's let you talk for a day or two about how much you know about plumbing and why you know so much about plumbing, and he didn't say a word to me. He just sat there and smiled and let me work. I don't know how many, you know, it's oftentimes in our young ages that, I don't know if you guys do this at all, I still look back at some of the things I know I've said and some of the people I've said them to, and I'm just like, ugh, where was my mask then? Like, cover that up. I should have put a muzzle on it. But the problem is that it's our heart issue, right? It's our perspective. It's how we look at life, and it's how we approach things. And the scribes and the the teachers of the law, they'd studied the Scripture, and they'd worked very hard at it, and they'd they'd come to a point of understanding that they were all comfortable with and that they agreed with. And so it was from that position that they were exercising their knowledge and their faith, and they were running hard after. And Jesus shows up, and he says, i got to show you guys some things. I was there when it was written. I was there when it was created, and so I want to teach you. And that's what we find Jesus doing in the temple again uh, this morning in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 35. Would you turn there with me in your Bibles? And and we're going to read this text this morning. And we're going to wrestle with this this text, and and we're going to end up in some Old Testament passages today and and, and looking at several different scriptures that uh, are are quoted and and, uh, used as prophecy, that we believe that they're prophetic in their nature, and Jesus supports that today. So read with me this morning, Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 35. And Jesus taught in the temple, he said, um, excuse me, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Scripture declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. 
David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Would you pray with me for just a moment? Father, our, I, I just desperately wanna, want to say only what you have said and only what you have placed on my heart and what you've been teaching me this week about who you are. So I pray, Lord, this morning that you would watch over every word, every thought, that you would prepare each heart and that your word would go forward, not man's. That you would translate your word into our minds and our hearts, not, not allow us to, to place our filters or our life experience or the little bit of knowledge that we think we have in the way of what you're trying to teach us. So clear our minds from the things that we would be distracted by. Clear our minds from, the, from lies of the enemy or, or even things that we have, have um, come to believe because of our religious positions. And I pray that you would speak clearly and that you would speak strongly into each heart and each life, including my own, of what you are saying to us today. And Father, forgive us for not coming to you in prayer more. Forgive us for running ahead and, and telling everybody what we know instead of introducing them to the one we know. Help us to, to do that more consistently in our lives. So we give this time to you, Lord, and we pray that you would take all the glory in your name. Amen. And one of the things I was thinking about as we were singing that last song, what's that song saying? Better is one day in his courts, better is one day in his house than thousands elsewhere. You know, when I grew up, when when when... I was growing up in the church because I spent most of my life growing up in the church. I thought, man, that, in fact, I don't know how many of you have, have ever gone through the process of being told not to run in the house of the Lord. I got told that a lot growing up. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I was that kid. Um, but when you start realizing what the church is, the, the house of the Lord, it's, it's being in his presence, right? It's being where he is. It's and what what have we been learning through Ephesians and through Mark and what Jesus has been teaching? Awkward moment. What have we been learning? We've been learning that if we are his children, he's indwelling us. We're always in his presence. And so the, the song, the, the worship of that song is, is re reminding us that the gift of God, the great gift of, of the relationship with God the Father is that we are always in His presence. That's what's so amazing about this thing. We don't come, you, you can't go to church. We are the church. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, description of worship. And, it, and I just was reminded about that again today that that this time, this, this place that we're in, it's a gathering of the church. We didn't come to church. The church showed up here. Isn't that cool? It's a perspective. It's a matter of keeping our eyes, our minds on the right things. And what's so interesting, what's Jesus' question to, to the scribes and to the people that he's teaching is, uh, how do the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? What is he asking him? How, how are they describing him as a descendant of David? And why is that their focus? Uh, the, the first thing we have to, well, we need to go and look at why. And, and I think the, the question that we ask in this, uh, when Jesus approaches this, are the scribes wrong in saying that Jesus is a descendant of David? Not at all. And we have text to prove that. Uh, grab your Bibles. We're going to do some uh, scripture calisthenics today. So jump into, into your Bible in Matthew chapter 1, 
Verse 17, and we're going to pick off a couple of small passages just because it's, it supports this text and, and we don't need all of the context here. But in Matthew chapter 1, we see the genealogy of Christ. And it starts with the son of David uh, it, all the way back to Abraham. And we actually see this whole picture of, of Abraham. And in verse 17, he wraps the whole thing up and he says this, Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And we continue in Matthew chapter 2, just flip the page here, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. They knew this to be the truth. They actually were aware of this. The, the, the disciples, the Jews were watching for this to happen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And, assemble, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet. We're going to go and look at what the prophet said. So start turning your Bibles to Micah chapter 5. But did you see what the, pro, the, the, the priests and the scribes said? King Herod went to him and said, hey, where is this going to happen? And they go, well, we know. We're aware of it. We've been studying this. We're waiting for him. We're anticipating his arrival. We know exactly where he's going to be born. And here these kings show up, these wise men come, and they say, hey, we've seen his star. It's time to look for the king of the Jews. All of these things are lining up. And what, what do they quote? What do the scribes quote? They quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says this, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. The scribes were not wrong in expecting the Christ to be a son of David, to be from the, a descendant of, the King, of King David. It's prophesied. There's other prophecy that actually points to this. It's the hope of the nation. It's, it's, it starts with the Abrahamic covenant, and it goes on throughout David's life. It, it, is, it is there, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and they knew it, and they were anticipating it. But what are they missing? They're missing something, right? Because Jesus is pointing out this question. He's asking them, why do the scribes say this? And I don't believe it's because they had it completely wrong, but they were missing a piece, a very important aspect of what was coming, who the Christ was, and what was going to be seen and known about him. And Jesus, being a great Bible scholar, he takes them back to Isaiah? No. Daniel? No. Jeremiah? No. Where does he go? He goes back to the Psalms. Back to Psalms 110. Turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to read it from there because it's very important to have uh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew context in this. And I want to share this up front. I'm no Hebrew scholar. I, I use my tools that I have in my Bible study programs, and I, I sent out text to one of my buddies that does do Hebrew, um, and I think, I think he's on vacation, so he didn't get back to me, um, probably because I sent it to him this morning. That's on me. Um, 
But this is really an amazing moment in, in Old Testament Scripture. How many of you ever read the Psalms and said to yourself, man, these are cool tunes? Anybody? Any of you ever sang one of the Hebrew tunes of, 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 of the, the Old Testament here in Psalms? I've never actually sang one because I don't know the Hebrew, and I, I just haven't quite got the... I don't, have, I don't think I have the, 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 the groove to go with some of the Hebrew music. And some of you have heard more, more uh, traditional music. I've heard artists who have tried to do the, some of these songs more traditionally. But I'm a musician, and clearly I'm from the uh, contemporary worship genre, where um, sometimes when you have long-running long sentences of context and structure and there's no repeating chorus, you kind of go, ugh. Where are we going with this? That's a joke, you guys. Come on. I'm making a joke about music on a Sunday morning. Isn't that brave? This is an incredible psalm, and it speaks to the kingship of Christ. And Jesus is saying this is prophecy. In fact, the Jews actually held to this being one of the prophecies, one of the promises of a coming king that they were expecting to fulfill out of the line of David. In fact, it became very uh, uh, kind of... D- discouraging when they watch the line of David die off and the throne be, be lost to the, a descendant of David in the nation of Israel, and then they ended up in captivity. It was incredibly discouraging to them. And so then what do you do with this text? Well, let's read it, and we'll see what, what they're dealing with, what Jesus is pointing out in this prophetic psalm, Psalm 110, starting in verse 1. We're going to read the whole thing, all seven verses. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way, therefore he will lift up his head. Jesus is saying, hey, why do you guys do this? Because even in this psalm, King David says he's the Lord. Well, what's the, it's interesting, again, if you look at the language uh, in the Hebrew, it actually says, the Lord Yahweh says to my Lord Adonai, uh, which the Adonai term, it's a term referring to God, uh, the God of Israel, reflecting his authority. And so we see the two names of God here used, and it's believed to be, it's actually uh, 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 used as a messianic prophecy of the coming Christ, who's going to be wielding the authority of God in his ruling. You see that in Psalm 110, right? He's going to rule among his enemies. His people are going to freely present themselves to him when he shows up. All of these things. He's going to be the priest forever of the order of Melchizedek. There's this incredible picture of this coming king whose people are going to follow him. He's going to be a priest. He's going, to, he's going to speak the words of the Lord. He's going to rule for God, and he's going to place his enemies as a footstool and bring in his judgment. You know what's amazing? The Jews knew this, and they were waiting for it. Even the Samaritans, who were half-Jew at the time, they were waiting for this coming Messiah. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is actually the, the, the woman at the well, right? The Samaritan woman at the well. And if you turn in your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4, we're going to actually see her testify that she's aware of who's coming. 
She knows what it looks like. She's actually anticipating it and waiting for this to happen. I love this response to Jesus. Uh, John chapter 4, we're not going to read the whole story. We're going to start in verse 23, but Jesus has been talking to her. He says, go and call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. And he goes, you're right. Uh, you've been married four times, and the guy you're with is not your husband now. And, and she's like, oh, what in the world? And they start talking about worship. And they start talking about what's happening, what they're seeing uh, happen in Jerusalem, what they're seeing happen in this time. And Jesus picks up the, we pick up Jesus' conversation in John chapter 4, verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. She knew he was coming. She was anticipating his arrival. You know what's so beautiful about her response? Unlike many, many other response to Jesus when he says this, instead of getting angry and trying to find somebody to stone him, she runs into town and starts testifying to this amazing man that she's met that has told me everything that I have done in my life. This guy has revealed all of my wretchedness, my sin. He's exposed everything in my life. You've got to come and meet him. How many of us are signing up? For, hey, come and meet this guy that knows all of, your, all of your junk in your life. It'll be great. Yeah. That's who we're going to go out and meet together, right? Let's do that publicly. No. We don't want to. But that's, what she, that's her response to Jesus. She's anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. The one who will interpret the word of God and who will, who will share with them what, the, the truth and, and set all of these things right. The Jews were expecting him. The scribes, were, they were aware of what the word said, and yet they were missing an important piece. You know what's interesting about the text when it says that your enemies, uh, that he'll place your enemies under his feet? I don't know how many of you guys are ready for that action. Any, any of you going, okay, God, anytime. Let him have it. Let's just woe up on that feeling for just a moment because we're going to look at the text, and, and I hope that you will find what I have found this week uh, to be a great confrontation of your heart. Do you know there was a season in my life, I know this is hard for you to believe, where... Uh, I would see somebody doing something, I don't know, that I thought was wrong. And I would, I would in my youthfulness, maybe go and confront them. And then when they didn't receive my confrontation well, think to myself, okay, Lord, you can kill them now. You, you, you can discipline them. They've heard your word. So many dumb things I said as a kid. I'm sorry to whoever it was that I did that to. I'm sure it's been more than one person. I have to confess, I had a driving moment this morning. I'm not going to post it on Facebook. But I had to help a guy follow the speed limit today. Yeah. You guys know the place, right? The racetrack right down there at a Liberty Lake stoplight? You know where it merges? This guy thought he was going to, like, fly by me in my Mustang this morning. I'm like, I'm first in line, jerk. I'm confessing. 
I had a wrong attitude, and I put him right behind me. Turns out he wasn't happy about it. And so I slowed him down to the speed limit. He pulled over and drove in the other lane for a while. It was a bad thing. My bride's in the car. There's a recording that'll be dead in 24 hours. Because my camera in my car keeps replacing all of that, so my audio is going to be gone soon. From this world, but not from God. There are so many times in our lives where when we see this kind of text, we're like, that's right, God, get them. These horrible people deserve your wrath. But there's an in- incredible perspective about this that we have to get our hearts around. It is true that the King of Kings is coming and that, that it, he will put the enemies, his enemies, under his feet. They will be a footstool. What we saw in Micah, what we saw, or what we saw in Psalms 110, what we're going to see here in just a second in Isaiah is absolutely true. In fact, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, verse 49. Acts chapter 7, we're, we're watching Stephen preach here, and, and, and Stephen is testifying to, to the people that are, are listening to him, and he's proclaiming the word of the Lord, and, and he brings out this particular passage, Psalm or, or uh, Acts chapter 49. He speaks uh, of, of Isaiah 66, and we're going to go read that passage in just a second. But, but here's, here's Stephen, and he's testifying, and he's, he, he's preaching the name of Jesus, and he ends up getting stoned for this. The end of this passage is, is where they go and stone him. Um, And he says to them, he quotes uh, this prophet Isaiah, he says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place, uh, or what is the place of my rest? And I was going to read more of that particular text, but I thought, let's go back and look and see actually what text he's quoting. Because it's this incredible passage in Isaiah that is, it's at the end of Isaiah and he's, he's, prophesying of, of this coming king and what's going to happen. And it's very much along the same line that David does in Psalm 110. But Isaiah gives us a little bit more uh, uh, context here about what it's going to look like for Israel when this time happens. And it's, it's amazing, and it's, it's potentially um, very conf- convicting in our hearts. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own way and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose in that and choose in that which I do not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. 
the sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the, from the tr- uh, temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. What we see in this, in, in this text in Isaiah is this incredible picture of God saying, this is true, I'm coming and I'm going to put the, my enemies under my footstool, but who I'm looking for are the ones who are humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at my words. And then he goes on to explain the, the, the false worship of the religious people of that day. Those who are offering the sacrifices or fulfilling the worship of the temple, what was required, but their hearts did not belong to God. They did not tremble at his word. They were not listening. And in that reality, he says that they are not who I'm looking for, but I'm looking for those who tremble at his word, who will live in obedience. Our perspective when we see God promise these things and promise to bring the the the, the judgment and the conquering victory of a Messiah, of the God of the ages, I don't think it should be, that's right, take him out, Lord. Although that's what's in my heart at times. But there is a reality to this that we look at God and we say, Lord, you are sovereign, you know all things, you are capable of all of these things, and we want to be people that are responding to your word. The question that we really have to ask ourselves, are we religious or are we living in fear of the word of God, of his word? Are we responding to him in such a way? We know very, very clearly from Jesus' teaching in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. Turn with me, if you would, Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. It says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Oh yeah, I would love it when I'm in a hurry if somebody would cut me off on the road and slow me down. Not true at all, and yet that's exactly what I did this morning. I don't know why the guy was in a hurry. Maybe his house was on fire. I don't know. But in that moment of selfishness, I did what was right, and I did what I would never want somebody else to do to me. In fact, I'd get angry about it at other times on the freeway, right? You guys have heard my my confessions as you confess with me at moments. But what does Jesus say right after this verse? Verse 13. So he says, do to others what you would wish for them to do to you, and and for this is the law of the prophets, treat others as you would have them to treat you. And then he says in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Do we tremble at the word of the Lord? Or are we the religious people that are practicing our religion and not living in obedience? Jesus adds to this even more in Matthew 7, uh, in, in chapter, uh, or verse 21 and 23 through 23, and he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. When we think about 
this perspective of looking at who Jesus is. It's a very great temptation for us to get wrapped up in our own righteousness, our own religiousness, maybe even what we've come to believe or the things that we've been taught about the Bible. And we have division in the church over all kinds of things. That we would sacrifice the relationship of the brotherhood of of, of the body of Christ, the family life of Christ, over things that really should not separate the church. You know, there's great division in the nation right now on, on uh, political issues within the church. Within the church. There's a great division in the church on musical styles of worship, on what I've seen division in the church on what translation you use out of the Bible. We've gone down as far as as division in the church because of carpet colors and building designs and who we're following and who we're not following. When it comes to this perspective of understanding who Christ is, when we look at who he is and what the text says about him, we need to be very, very careful that we don't become the religious people of Isaiah 66, but we maintain the humble and contrite spirit that the Lord is looking for. What is Jesus saying to the scribes and the Pharisees and the people that he's teaching to this morning? In the text, what is he saying? I think Paul sums it up very, very well. Uh, Jesus is testifying that he is the Christ. This is who I am. I am the promised Messiah. I am the Christ. In fact, Paul in Romans chapter 1, I think, says it very, very well. He, he consolidates all of these things, and he, and he gives it to us in a very, very effective manner. Read with me in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including those who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. But Paul describes it perfectly that yes, he is the descendant of David by the flesh, but by the spirit he's the descendant of God which was confirmed in his resurrection from the dead. And what's the outcome? What does Paul say that their purpose is because of who this Jesus is? What is their responsibility? To bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. What is the responsibility of the church? If Jesus Christ really is the Messiah, if he really is the prophesied one, the promised one, the anointed one, the one that is coming from, that was there in the very beginning, from days of old, from ancient of days, and he's coming to fulfill this role, to finish what God has started, to provide for, for mankind access to the God of the universe, if that's all true, then our job, according to Romans, according to Paul in chapter 1, is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. 
It's not for us to look religious. It's not for us to have great church buildings. It's not for us to have horrible church buildings. It's not for us to look super humble or look super religious. It's not for any of that. It's for His name's sake. It's for His glory that we exercise obedience in faith. Wouldn't it be nice if Paul only said that? Wouldn't it be nice if he didn't meddle anymore? But it's not. Because he continues this thought, if this really is the Christ, and you know, this is what the scribes were having a problem with. You guys realize that, right? The, the people heard him gladly. Why? Because they were ready for the descendant of David. They were ready for a human king to come and wipe out Rome and put them back in power. They were completely okay with that. And had Jesus just done that, had he left everything else alone, he would have been put right into power. Especially because he could bring people back from the dead. That's helpful in war. We just think about the practical logistics of that process right there. If he could heal the sick and do all the miracles that he could do, what a great way to be a king. And he was, he was a servant. He was the best of every option that they could possibly have. The servant of all. He washed his disciples' feet. He was, he was incredibly humble in his perfection. But he didn't stop there. This was more than just the physical king. This was the coming Messiah, the suffering servant, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist says in his introduction, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Colossians chapter 3. Paul is challenging the church. He says things like this, Set set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on this earth. Another verse, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he goes on to describe many, many horrible things. that if we're really, really honest, are sometimes at the root of some of our worst behavior. And then he says this in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Is the church a picture of love and unity? Have we mastered that, you guys? No, we haven't. We haven't. I I dare you to. Just go out there and tell people what you really think as they leave. About anything. Brand cars, politics, religion, their hairstyle, whatever it is. Just tell them what's really, what really is running through your mind. And watch and see how loving we are as a church. 
We're not. You don't cut a guy off on your way to go preach a sermon about this if you really love people. I mean, that, that's the reality of our heart is that we get in the right spot at the right time and all of a sudden the whole world's about me. It's not about everybody else. It's not about being who Christ has called us to be. Was that compassionate? Was it kindness? Was it humility, meekness, patience? Was I, None of that was existing in that moment when I'm like, uh-uh. And we do that all the time. In our own lives, we do that all the time. I do it at home. I do it in my work. But the beauty in all of this is that Christ, by his grace, by his love, as the Messiah, he said, not only do I know that that's who you are, but I'm going to offer my life as a solution to that problem. And watch what I do when I indwell you and I begin to change your life and I teach you about obedience in faith. You know, the problem is it doesn't happen overnight, right? Wouldn't it be great if we just said a prayer and we were done? Okay, Lord, I'm done with being me. How about you just be you and me and I'm, I'm done. I surrender. <sighs> okay, are we good now? Ah, I wish it worked that way. But it doesn't. He goes, no, I got a better plan. I'm going to have you hang out with a bunch of people who you have a hard time getting along with. I'm going to tell you to love like I loved. Serve like I served. Die like I died. In fact, I'm going to tell you to do that in your home. Go and live like me at home. Ah, that's, the, that's some of our best places of being ornery. And I, I cleaned that word up for you. That's some of the hardest times to do this is in the church and at home, and yet that's what we're called to do. This, at this time in our nation, the church should be the greatest light of hope across everything. What they should see in the church is unity, not division, a, a beauty and love and compassion, and us running around caring for one another even when we disagree. That should be the light of the world right now. And yet, what do we see? What do you see? A lot of division. A lot of division. posturing. Are you going to stand here? Are you going to stand there? Are you going to do this? You're not going to do this? Do we tremble at his word? Are we those people that are in a relationship with the God of the universe who spoke through Abraham about his coming son. His coming son. And 28 generations later, 28 generations later, the Messiah shows up and he fulfills everything that was promised about him in the text. You guys, that's not this, that's not human. That's not within our scope of reality. You can't be done by man. Can't be done by man. And so often we as his children go, yeah, that's great. But when you say to forgive everyone anything that they have against me or I have against them, you, I'm not going to go there, Lord. I'll get close. I'll at least be nice to the ones that I like. 
you guys, I'm making a little bit of, of, of an exaggeration on this, but I think it's the reality of the text. Are we going to get to heaven and God go, man, you guys, I'm so glad that you donated to this fund. I'm so glad that you didn't participate in this. I'm glad that you didn't do this and you didn't do this. But, but when it comes to loving the body as he called us to love, when, when you look in the text, you cannot miss that that's one of the most critical things. When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? What does he say? He just talked about it. What does he say? Love God and love who? One another. If those are the two greatest commandments, should that not be the two things that we're doing the best? Ah, it's not. I'm confessing it's not what I'm doing the best. I came up with a term the other day. Turns out I have an inner assassin. Some of you have inner lawyers. You want to defend yourselves. Turns out I have an inner assassin. I want to kill him. I know. It's horrible. You're not supposed... And by the way, I... Not actually supposed to say this in church, I guess. So, can we just delete that? But isn't it true about our hearts in that mo- in those moments, you guys? Is that not really where we get when the right things happen? When our when the things that we want are taken from us? When we're not getting what we is that not truly where our heart is at? Jesus says that if we're angry with our brother, we're guilty of murder. Before God, if we're angry with people, we are guilty of murder. Is that not where we are? What's the response to this? Our response is to confess and repent. When we see the reality of our hearts, we fall on our face before God like I had to do in my office this morning and say, Lord, I was wrong. What was I thinking? What, what, how did I help that guy see Jesus this morning? Did my, did my Liberty League church sticker on the back of my car scream, Jesus loves you? It's not there, don't worry can't blame you guys for me but that's the reality of our hearts and it's what god is trying to change through the reality of who he is if we claim to follow jesus the jesus of the bible then we've got to do the business with what's really going on in our hearts jesus is looking for the people of isaiah 66 a humble and contrite spirit that's what god is looking for And in this reality of who Jesus is, the prophesied one, the anointed one, coming Messiah, the Christ, you and I can live with hope. You and I can live with joy. You and I can live with with victory in the midst of fear, in the midst of anger, in the midst of all kinds of crisis. We can be a light for the generations to come and for this nation today. Because when everything else in the world is screaming, it's about me, you and I can testify, no, it's not. It's about him. And I believe that should be our posture. Father, thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for your graciousness, the reason you can call us to be kind and patient and long-suffering and gracious and compassionate is because it's who you are. And it's who you have proven yourself to be, and it's who it is the way in which you have addressed us as enemies and sinners, offering us the free gift of salvation through your through your blood and, and your death, Lord Jesus, and your resurrection. What a gift that we have. The great confession is that, Lord, we're not living. 
that way every day. I'm not living that way every day. Would you help us, confront us, challenge us, convict us, transform us through your word? Help us to be men and women who fear your word and who live in obedience to it. And when we see that we're not, that we would confess that, that we would confess the brokenness of our heart, and that we would turn to you to restore us and make us right. And that in humility, God, we would acknowledge our weakness and celebrate and be thankful for your power and your strength. For the way in which you carry us, the way in which you transform us, the way in which you move us. I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you for their graciousness to let me be me. But God, I don't want to stay this way. I don't want to have to keep confessing to wrong attitudes and sinful heart. I want to be a light that reflects your glory. Pray that you would do that in each and every one of us, even as we think about who you are today in your name. Amen. Won't you join us with the Lord? I need you.
convicting our hearts as a spear is longed by your Holy Spirit. And I just pray that um, all the words that we've heard today would carry on throughout the week and not just Sunday, but in our homes, like Shane said, and in our lives and in our personal lives. And uh, Father, thank you for convicting me today on uh, my attitude and uh, my, my downfalls. And I just ask for grace and mercy. And I ask for grace and mercy in all my friends' lives as well. We love you and we thank you for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.